nudge. How many students were there and was it more Q&A or did Matt do a, a fair bit did of free talk? We did a reading. I think there was about, oh, man, about five students. I mean, I was six. Yeah. Five, six. Seven. Yeah. 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 And there's only, there's only, uh, well, there's 13 students in the class and half of them meet on Monday and half of them meet on Wednesday. So he had almost a full load sure. of the students. Um, and then the Wednesday class viewed it. They, they uh, watched the recording oh, cool. of what, what he did. So, yeah. So I got the feedback from them too. A lot of them asked, is, is Matt, the ones that watched the recording asked, is he going to come back? Because they had some questions for you about it. Oh, so, nice. So, All right. Yeah. yeah, let's set that up. And it was a Q&A. It was a Q &A, yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Mostly. We had Matt read a little bit of his story. Sure. Um, and uh, I thought that went pretty good. That's a good story for you to read, Matt, by the way. It's, it's complete. It's not too long. Yeah. Uh, and yet you could talk about some very interesting things that are going on in there, particularly metaphor and... and uh, yeah, th yeah, that was nice. I hadn't thought of that story or picked it up in years i'm sure like so it was nice to go back to it as much as it's nice to ever go back it's always a little like your old stuff and yeah. hear your hear your own voice and all all that it's always Eric, a little shocking one of the interesting i thought one of the best questions asked was uh where he got his idea which sounds very simple and so forth but matt's answer was really good do you remember your answer to that one matt I don't. He he said I was exactly how I yeah. He, he said I would I had been thinking about some things. He said I found it. He said usually what you just do when you come into a story is you find pieces, right? And he said I'd been thinking about a girl that I had. Uh, you had an idea about legacy going. You know, you're thinking about the concept of legacy in your head, and then he remembered teaching a friend of his how to skip stones, and that these two things came together mm. and uh, he was able, because they were asking him, you know, did you want to go out there? Or I think I might even hinted at, did you want to go for a metaphor? Did you want to go for this? Right, kind of, right. Yeah. And he said, no, no, I was just writing a story about teaching someone to skip stones with the idea of legacy in the back of my mind. That's a paraphrase. Maybe not. The, a, a, yeah, no, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was, the, one of the unique things about that, that story for me, is that uh, at least I can't think of any other off the top of my head where I knew how it was going to end when I started. I mean, it, it had to end with the girl learns how to skip stones. Mm -hmm. So starts, he doesn't know how to skip stones. He learns how to skip stones. It ends with skipping stones. All right, so I knew that trajectory, and then everything else kind of revealed itself as I was teasing that out. And what was great is that I'm working with these writers who are all mostly influenced by the Stephen Kings and the drama and the, the you know, the over the top things and thinking that all stories are 25 to 30 to 50 pages long. And so Matt reads this story and they were able to see a complete story that's very literary, not, you know, it's not uh, the plot is as simple as he said, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. somebody learning to skip, skip stones. But all, of course, the things that are underneath it, all the all the stuff that comes up with it. So hmm. it was very helpful, Matt, for me, getting them to break out of this 
it was a quiet night and something went scratch on the roof and that kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. So it was, it was good. Not, nothing, yeah. not that there's anything wrong with the, uh, no, intent, that's, you know, that's suspension. where you start. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. And then we'll get Eric in there and, and, uh, um, see where that goes. See how that goes. We didn't plan, Matt and I didn't really plan much. I think we just kind of had a general idea what we wanted to do direction wise. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just was like, I don't, whatever you guys are talking about, I'm happy to, to chime in and to uh, listen and comment accordingly. But yeah, I think, it worked I out. Think, yeah, I think that does work out. I mean, I'm sure it can have a train wreck some days, but uh, that organic feeling, much like our nudges, you know, where you just kind of yeah. let it, let it come. Um, it, it has, it has something that's a little bit more a third meaning third depth to it rather than just uh mm. here's what i want to say today yeah um yes. i was curious a little mm. bit tim you know you've got a class of 13 people mm. um and you've got a period of time in which you're teaching them mm -hmm. um do you have a series of marks or methods that you use to evaluate students maybe not yourself but maybe that you provide them or that you're trying to hit along the way that's great that's a great question so uh, I, I i am trying to move this as far away from a traditional graded class as possible so i've set up a series of craft exercises in the first eight weeks it's 16 week course in which they are given a i give them some information about uh conflict or arc or dialogue or what are some of the things point of view and so forth and I, and I try to give them some reading material they also use a little uh screenwriter or not screenwriter's book but uh, a book by um Sa uh, sandra oh what is her name it's it, it's a good one i think i mentioned it to you guys before uh, schofield because yeah, it's light it's not uh it's not textbook ish and so what i'm doing in the first eight weeks is deliberately telling them if you do the assignment, you get the 100 points. If it's even just you saying, I got to take a pass on this assignment because I'm having a crazy day, I'll still give you the 100 points. If I do the exercise correct, if I set up the exercise correct, though, so far, you know, good luck, or uh, so far it's been working, they want to do it, you know, because it's not, it's, it's, they, what I have found is students that take this, they're not looking to read about how you should write a, a story. They want to actually have somebody tell them how their stories are being written and, mm. and give them some information about the tricks, if you will, or some of the things to look at. So, so I, I'm very light on the grading aspect in the first eight, eight weeks. And I use those eight weeks to kind of see where each writer is at. Um, some of them are, they're very good writers. And some, most are, you know, they're working through their writing. And a few... They're, they're not, you know, novices and they're, they're making, you know, I wouldn't say mistakes. I don't think, as I told them, there's never a wasted thing written. You never have a bad thing, you, you know, a useless piece of writing. So we, we don't talk about that kind of stuff that, or we don't talk about things that fail or, or don't meet the assignment. Mm -hmm. And then in the second half of the class, eight weeks, by the first eight weeks, we've had an individual conference. We're just finishing that up uh, with, in some of the cases. And we identify a story or a scene that they want to turn into a story or they bring a scene or a story that they, or an idea. And we say, okay, we're going to write this story. 
And, and with that, I mean, my guidance there is to kind of play part uh, motivator, part editor, part coach, part uh, uh, supportive system and so forth, just to get them to feel and recognize the whole story. Uh, many of them are, I'd say out of the 13 students, 10 of them said, I just want to be able to finish a story. Mm. I've got all these stories started and I never get to the end of it. I don't know if that's a... I think that's probably a pretty common experience with, mm. with writers, you know, especially when we first started out, uh, start out with the story. And so, so I have my mark, if you will, the way I look at their success or not success is individually just to see if I can get them to be a better writer, to be more aware and uh, to, to finish a story. Um, and again, I, even in the end, I, I, I avoid the grading element to this. I think there's nothing worse to a writer than to be graded, mm. uh, you know, in, in other words, oh, well, this is, yeah. What rubric would you set up for, uh, mm. you know, um, any kind of story? It's, it's, it's in the middle. It's in the end of the, is it polished? Is it beginning? You know, is it fantastic plot? I'm sure there's people who have, <laughs> in fact, I know the people that they wrote to th rotate this class. I don't get to teach it every week or every semester. Mm. And I looked at some of the syllabus and it's, Pretty much, uh, let's take a look at what these writers have said about how you do this kind of thing. Instead of actually practicing the writing themselves, they kind of have to read to how to. There's quizzes based on. Mm. I have a quiz, but I give them the answers before the quiz. I mean, one of the things that I do with the quiz is to show them what they've learned. You know, now you know essentially what a plot is, um, not just the definition, but a sense of what a plot is. Now you have an idea what a beat or a pulse or something is. Even if you don't rec recognize the name uh, beat or pulse, you've got a concept of there has to be action, there has to be narrative, there has to be, you know, um, sense of movement, you know, you, you, how do you get that page turning type of thing is, is sometimes it's elements. Yeah. Um, part of it's elements. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And rings very close to home for me. You know, that's a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with these workshops that we're running through Fathom School is, and in the workshops is about inhabiting pieces and as in mm -hmm. being able to like actually, as a, as a reader, am I able to live in this space? Um, and yeah. if I'm not, that's not entirely writerly fault. That's not, that's not like, you know, that that it could be, you know, plausibly, I just don't read things set in, you know, 1800s UK and know this language or I don't respond well to the detective tone yeah. or um, in the case of poetry, which is such an alien uh, mode of writing to so many, um, like I'd, I can't suspend my grammarly notions enough to slip into this feeling or to understand what's going on here mm. uh it's it's too much it's beyond my dictionary it's you know there's so many different ways that one can feel removed from a piece of writing and in in a when we talk to people about going back into their writing and saying what what could be adjusted uh the the dangerous as you're saying criticism is that it's wrong is that right now you don't you it's not working and that's not in fact true it's that in in my case it's not you know that i can't access this 
Um, and depending on how communicative or difficult someone wants to be, uh, it's possible that it's totally working, that they're looking for a frustration that the little moment where you say, like, I felt, you know, a pit of blackness in my left cheek, you know, that was what they wanted to create in you or confusion or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, all that makes total sense. And it's, it really comes down to uh, how focused the edit is in a lot of ways. You know, you've mentioned to me in the past when I've sent you edits that the stuff that really helps you is the general notes more so than the line by line. That if you were to come at my, at your work, uh, if I were to come at your work with a, you know, here's the feeling I get. And I think if you could get a bit more concise with certain places, da, 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 that would help. It's not saying like, here's how to be concise necessarily. Um, as editor, it in some ways I'm teaching a small class, right? Or facilitating, right? As you're saying, your students are coming in looking for a place to reflect on their own work. They're not looking to necessarily stare off into the vast expanse of other written work and say, here's how you should do it. Um, a one-on-one -on -one class where we get to sit and mull over what you've done is essentially the, the, the editing process. Yeah, and I, I think too, Eric, in your case, um, you're working with writers generally who probably don't need that sentence level. I mean, when you see a bad one, and we all write them a bad sentence, you'll be able to tell me, hey, that's a, that's not working for this reason. Right. You know, it's mechanical. Uh, and I'll be able to take that. Um, with some of my classes and some of my students, I do have to kind of point out to them, you know, you, you, you're uh, tending to start with phrases. You're every paragraph is starting. And they, they appreciate that more sometimes than the actual, hey, this is really good. Because <laughs> they all want to be that they, they, we all want to publish. We all want to get that kind of breadth of closure right. reading. And so they, they, they want looking to, at this level, in yeah. this particular environment, they're actually looking sometimes for that um, critical e uh, editing and, and uh, helpful, constructive. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, I half agree with you. Like, I hear you on the fact that yeah, I look at, for instance, the work that we'll be looking at by you today. Um, and I say, you know, there's sentences that I wish I'd written in this. Um, and that's, that's like highest compliment, right? That's like, I want to, I want to be you essentially in the moment you wrote this. Um, and yet like even, even as practiced as you are, there's still points where I'm like, I want to get in on the sentence level on this thing and say like, Hey, I, you know, whether it was because it fell at a certain place or like as you know in the circumstance of a newer writer it's happening all over the place so the paragraph just doesn't it yeah. you feel like you're it was the first time you read through that stuff looking for how you know what what level is this at or like what what how competent is this work or how practiced is this work um uh, or this writer in that case, uh, you'll definitely see a lot more. You're right. But I think, I don't know, we're, I'm looking at, <laughs> it's really interesting when it becomes like, you're looking at writers who you consider doing something that you can't do, right? You, that you, you could, you could try and do a pastiche of them. You could imitate them. Um, but 
they by themselves are creating things that you're incapable of versus writers who you're like, hey, I did that once. Um, like I tried this sort of style or I tried to write this piece, so to speak, with my life as a the flood behind it. Um, and in cases where you're dealing with people who are writing stuff that you're incapable of or wouldn't think to, who surprise you with content alone, that becomes like a really, that's where editing becomes a really engaging process to me. Not to say that it isn't engaging on the, like bringing, bringing a less practiced writer um, in, into their own. Um, but when you start to engage with somebody's ideas and say, this is what I think you were doing, um, because you actually don't know, uh, it really opens up the creative side of editing where you are provided opportunities to step in and write your own little bits and say like, you know, like here, here's a mix up of the same words or like, da, 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 you know, all manner of responding to people's text, responding through metaphor or all this sort of stuff. Um, and that's where honestly, as a, I've always felt that the editor discipline or occupation is so tied up in obviously in the writerly occupation, but also like just being an editor was never enough, nor does it feel like just being a writer in a lot of ways. Um, being a critical reader, responding to texts and saying like, even though I'm reading this and taking this in and it's becoming me in a lot of ways, like philosophy will start to drift in and you're like, oh, that's one way to think about things or a religious text or a, a good scientific text or something, something with knowledge behind it. Um, as soon as you start to respond to it as a peer, that's when it feels like you really, a lot of the lateral dimensions of writing start to open up. You say, wow, we can really step into almost any zone. And like, you know, I've never considered writing a, a, a treatise on the, the harvest men, you know, the bug, like the little daddy long leg as we know it. Um, I never thought of that until I read like a biological text on, you know, on bees. And then it's like, well, it could be really fun. It could be really interesting to explore that sort of thing. So, um. well, you know, as you're speaking, and Matt, you could speak, jump in on this one too. Um, one of the things that I, I want, I wanted to ask both of you was, where are you at when you're looking at a piece and the things that you find that you'll you'll take as a piece to publish? Um, are you more inclined to take something that inspires you? or gets, as you were saying, Eric, that kind of peer engagement level or, or, or a highly polished story. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking here of our listeners who might be thinking, you know, do I just only send the stuff that I feel like I've gotten down to a diamond hard perfection and then send it in? Mm. Um, or do I send stuff that uh, I'm hoping that the editor or a publisher will say, yeah, I want this. And um, which you're going to have to do some work with it. Yeah, um, I want to uh, answer that one, and then I want to go back before that though about the like writer editor kind of feedback relationship. Uh, there's as you guys were talking, uh, I was thinking back to my own experience, and there's uh, when you're a beginner writer, I, I can probably go one of two ways broadly like that you're so sure of yourself like I have this story to tell and I'm going to get it out there and no one's going to like 
tell me otherwise. I'm not like, and you won't listen, don't listen to anyone about anything. Or I'm so unsure of myself, like whatever you say, I will make that edit mm. immediately and not push back at all. And but like part of that, the writer editor relationship that has to evolve. And that's, and as part of that, kind of the, the confidence of the writer coming into to their own self, uh, to, to know what you're trying to do as a writer, uh, even if you're not doing it, to know what you're trying to do and to be able to hold on to that, even if the editor might not, might not be getting it mm. to be able to listen to like, okay, I hear that you're not getting it, but that's a problem or that's a potential problem, mm. but I'm still going to do this because this is what I'm want to do. And yeah, I, I don't there every, every writer is different and the writer editor relationships different, but it's, I think that's where the real kind of magic can happen when the, the writer is, kind of come into their own self to know like, you know, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm, and then the editor is also has come into their own self to know like, okay, I don't need to get, it doesn't need to be a story that I would have written or that I even like, but this is going to be the best version of that story that this writer is trying to write. Uh, and, and that doesn't happen overnight <laughs> and that uh and there's a lot of uh i think i don't know i don't know how many times i said the word vulnerability during tim's class but mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now there's a lot of vulnerability that needs to happen for that relationship to to reach that point uh, it's in that that kind of confidence as a writer comes from being vulnerable and i think same as an as an editor. Uh, so uh, then to answer Tim's, uh, the, the other question about what to look for, uh, again, this in, is more theoretical on, on my part. I, I haven't solicited and published nearly as much as, as Eric has, but for me, what, like the 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 polish matters for me. Like it, it, if I'm going to publish it, it will have been polished. It doesn't necessarily need to arrive like perfectly polished, but um, but I won't I wouldn't publish it till it till mm. I felt it had been polished. That said, if it's only pop, if it just arrives like technically mm. precise, that that's not gonna grab me. I, I'd be much more likely to publish something that was that just like surprised me and and just captured my imagination and curiosity and all those things and then okay then we can go back and then we can polish it but if i get something that's well polished but like that's fine like that's it's harder to go back and like let's find that's this is nicely polished now let's go back and add the magic and the surprise <laughs> and, and maybe 
maybe uh, I mean, maybe it's possible. Like, but I think to me that seems less likely to happen. That's not impossible. Like, there's some craft things that could be done, or some uh, some ways to structure a story that that could could reveal itself uh, in a in a way that is more captivating. But uh, yeah. But I don't. Yeah. So I think it's 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 both, ultimately. But. Yeah, pol polished things have a tendency to feel like covers to me, um, or like a like eighty like an eighties band that kept going. That's you know they they decided to, or an eighties imitation band. Um, it's not to say the music isn't bad. Um, or it's not to say the music is bad, I should say. Um, and I can enjoy it given the right circumstance, but would I rather stumble into a grimy bar where some guy, some gal's got her hair down in front of her face and her guitar is on her knees and there's a crowd of three and she's just plucking her way through something that she doesn't understand, you know, nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, I'll take that over a nice set um with some good lights and like something that i recognize um so i think matt's matt's word was my word and that was surprise um it it really comes down to uh that you know i will read the the worst writing all the way through and if mm. there's something in it that i'm like are you where did this come from um like something that i want to highlight because truth be told Re it's the same it's the same as if I'm picking books off a shelf. Like I, I wanna read and when I'm reading find something that I want to write. Um, mm -hmm. whether that's because the ideas in it make me think new things or because the combination of words is just so unbelievable that I'm like, I gotta I have to try to feel what it feels like to put that down on paper. Um and I don't know if, you know, every reader is the same, but I think most most editors of publications come into editing because they like reading, you yeah. know, they don't, very few people are getting into it for the money. Um, so yeah, now I think surprise, I think it'd be a whole nother question to say, how do you, you know, is surprise buildable is surprise trainable? Can you make yourself a better surpriser of people? Um, in terms of like when you're when you're writing, um, how do you know what surprises people? Is it just luck or is it something that um, you could, you know, study other surprisers and uh, um, and develop? And I, I, I think. In answer to my own question, I think it is totally something that you can make yourself better at doing just like you can become better at scaring people you know like if you work on walking a little quieter or changing your clothes to adapt to the right scenario or knowing when to leap or listening to the way somebody is moving through the room you can leap out and get them in a different way and when you're bad at it you know you've seen bad people trying to scare it's called a crappy haunted house you know <laughs> like <laughs> go through yeah. a crappy haunted house and like the guy's standing right there, you know, you know, the corner is clearly blocked in the way that you'd expect somebody to be there. So you're facing it when you get there. It's when people can like mask your expectations 
um, or mask the room so that your expectations go one way and then you provide the other. Um, and this is not just building thrillers, right? Surprise can come from a love affair. Surprise can come from um, a really interesting philosophical turn of thought. Um, but it really comes down to learning the people, learning people and knowing, learning yourself um, in order to learn people. Mm. Yeah, those are good answers. I mean, I wrote down two words and the same ones you guys are emphasizing, surprise and vulnerability. And, I, and, I, and as the writers, not just the editors or the publishers, I think that's something that we should remind ourselves. Um, the stories that I got published were the ones that I think I took the biggest chance on, mm. that I exposed myself. I'm not talking about in terms of uh, exposing myself in terms of the my own life or something like that, but just my writer's risk my will i go and try to do this um not not as an exercise which i think we should do exercises like eric was just talking about uh, to make ourselves better at writers but I, I'm, I'm talking about um that story that's in the back of your your head that matt was kind of referring to in you know in the uh, classroom about finding pieces and sometimes we don't ever follow through with those pieces because we're we're actually in the surprise moment and, and, you know, we're like, is that, is somebody going to want to read this or is somebody going to actually respond to this? Am I even capable of pulling this off? Mm -hmm. We become our own worst enemies there. Um, because I think, again, the things that I, I think the things that have been published, I mean, I get back, you guys get back these all the time. This is lovely writing, blah, blah, blah. It's a form letter, you know, uh, we can't choose everybody, but this we want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to know we really appreciate all the work that went into this, and you're a great writer, and blah blah blah. And it's like kissing the cousin or whatever they call that, or you know, it's like okay, yeah, um, yeah. So the ones that did get published, I was surprised that they got published over the other ones. You know, mm -hmm. you know, the other ones were I thought sometimes more stylistically better better writing, better, you know, dropped better bombs, you know, better lines in, in, in there. And uh, the ones, and the ones that got accepted um, were oftentimes the ones where I was risking a kind of, I was just jumping right into the story. It was like the story took a hold of me and said, you're going to go here. Um, and of course, it doesn't work that way. You really, it is us doing that it's just you you let you let your guard down and you write that story um and in and if, the other point i would make is that in the acceptance um in every case uh whether no matter how much i thought it was polished for those that are listening in that might be get, have this experience once you get that yes i want to publish this but it's going to take some work that is it that's the successful moment that's when you're going to find somebody that's actually going to help you bring that story to life a little bit better um, Eric did that with, with one of the stories that I sent him, uh, some of the others. And it's a, it's a kind of a painful process when somebody pulls apart your baby, you know, and says, you know, the nose here is not as cute and perky as you think it is. Let's take it here. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is also a great moment to, to uh, have that kind of interaction, that dialogue to bring that story to life. Um, so I, I, in almost every, every case, I thought it was perfectly, not perfectly polished, but I thought it was very well written. And it was a it was a risk, 
it was a risk. And those are the ones that have been accepted. And, and I'm going back right now in my, my time, my career, and I'm looking at the things that I thought were well-written that didn't get accepted. And I'm starting to ask myself those tough questions about, or maybe I just didn't bring a story. You know, you've got to catch somebody's reading spirit. You know, it can't just be great words on paper. It's got to be something they want to feel engaged with. And, and I think sometimes uh, we write good words on paper, great words on paper. We write good, good scenes, you know, and maybe it's even a good story. And this is what Matt was talking about earlier about just sticking with it and finding that right editor. But um, I'm also wondering if sometimes that, you know, you, I didn't risk enough. I didn't go, yeah. go far enough. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that the people do probably hold back more than they overshoot, I would imagine, at least starting out. Uh, but, and as you were talking, I was thinking of uh, like the nature of like how I met. Eric and how like that relationship developed of like a colleague and writer and editor and, and all that. And I, mean, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that uh, like it's started with just like repeated rejection and like yeah. in the, the, like, honestly, in the, like, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't that I submitted a perfect story and Eric was like my god like you've done it like <laughs> it, it was like but what I think then and, and Eric can say yes or no to that but I think there was something about the the perspective that I was bringing kind of the lens I had that I was looking through and, and then I, the, I wasn't I hadn't quite got the hang of like describing the scene but there was a lens that i was looking through that was was surprising unique uh and i, I think that's so you know if i was gonna like I sort of tim your class when I, one of the last things I, I talked about was uh like that first draft just like get it out like you know don't don't sit it down at a blank page and be like, I got to write something polished if I'm going to get this published. Like, like that, you know, it's like, you know, you, you start with the hunk of marble and you like carve out a like blob vaguely shaped like a torso. And then you go and like, you don't try to carve out the perfect torso right away. I don't think, I don't know. I'm not a sculptor, but like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a process. Like, you 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 get the the outline and then you start then you refine 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 refine. But uh, I can imagine that like being a a, a block to finishing a story, quote unquote, is like you're you you're right there, but you're like this isn't really well written. This isn't good. Whatever that means, it can get much better. But is it like? Is your lens compelling? Is your is do you have something to say? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree, Matt. And it's and not just the 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 style, but the risk of what you want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, right now we are living in an an era that uh, I don't think there's ever been a call for publications that has been so defined by what the editor wants to see than our era right now. It's not just genre versus literary. There are calls for this kind of group and this kind of representation, this kind of story, which is great. I think we need that diversity. I think it needs to happen at this end. But it also can get in your head that you're writing to a call instead of writing the stories. And uh, I'll ask you to, do you think the story comes from a call or from, I mean, as professional writers, uh, I, you know, I know that, I know that uh, technical writing, you are going to answer a call. They're going to give you a, here's what we want to see you write up and you write, you, you, you do your thing. But with creative writing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we were, the three of us, we were pretty well read in terms of the, 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 the uh, magazines and publications out there. And we're kind of, we're not we're not new to that. So when I say to you the calling of the different kinds of things mm-hmm. that people you you know exactly what I'm talking about. And as I go through those, and I appreciate them because they tell me what they're looking for, but it, it uh, one of the adverse effects for me is that it suddenly gets in my head mm-hmm. <laughs> that oh I'm not doing these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I've got to get these th- this kind of story out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think? What what do you guys think of that one? I think my worst writing comes in response to calls period. Like I've tried a hundred times. I've tried for scholarships. I've tried for magazines. I've tried for prizes. I've tried for anything. I've tried for small workshops. Uh, The closest I can say I've come to writing to a call is when somebody else has an idea about something they want to work on. Um, Like the thing that we're putting together and, uh, but even that, like that was based off of, you know, like me reading your work. It's one thing to be called by something that exists already. Um, if there, if somebody is good at creating a prompt, um, there are ways to write into a prompt that work, that, that do draw something out of you, that like provide a sort of stick in the mud to work around. But more often than not, those are not, to me, the the more obscure those are, the better, because they suggest come at this how you will. Um, and I think that any time that I try, it's not just constraints, right? Because like, you know, poetry has a lot of ways that you can write within forms that can be very engaging and can draw things out of you. But ultimately, like, I think that the form for me is something that's better addressed after the draft is done if I'm thinking in my head anything except like I'm going to explore this um, or I'm going to see where this goes while I'm writing, then I'm probably thinking too hard and too much about what I'm writing. And I end up basically cobbling myself in a corner and being hobbled by my own leathers, you know? So I would say like if, if a prize is the game, which is usually what a call is for, whether the prize is glory or, then the best, (laughs) I would just see if there's anything that you've already written that fits that and try it Uh, rather than, and maybe rewrite it, maybe work on it, massage it like you might a resume, but even that, like, um, 
uh, I just think there's there's a there's a lot of prizes and a lot of calls. Um, and if you think that because the bulk of calls are going out for one particular thing, then you're probably not exploring very much and finding out that like whatever you're writing, somebody wants to read. Mm. Um, you know, just out there in one of the dark corners of the internet. And if you care more about getting your stuff read by more people than by the people who care to read what you have to say, then you have the wrong goal in mind. Uh, yeah, the I've written. Yeah, I'm trying. I I don't think I've ever written something and had it accepted like based on like a specific call like that well on on the other hand i have written some very good stories that uh that um weren't that didn't end up like answering or the call to submissions didn't end up like getting published in that whatever x y or z journal that that issued the call but they turned out to be like really good stories mm -hmm. and found a home somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I, it, yeah, and it, it's back to that. Why do we write? How do we define success? Because by the, you know, by the metric of did, did I get published by this journal? You know, did I win this contest? Mm. Uh, you know, by those metrics, no, I lost. I lost. I didn't. The story I wrote didn't get published. But by the metrics of did I write a really, really good story that found a home? Yeah, and I yeah. and I won. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. It's and then as a reader, I, I think in the same way I find some of the 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 worst. Or at least most disappointing stories, and these are even like stories published in like well-respected, like widely circulated journals. Like you know, these are successful authors writing successful stories. By that metric, the the, the disappointing stories are the ones that feel like they were written with an agenda or written like to fulfill a purpose, and. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I write like there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of opinions in my in my writing, and I you know I don't certainly don't shy away from that at all. But it's a pretty rare beast to like read a good story that starts out with like this is the point I'm going to make. Yeah, yeah. no, this I is, uh, yeah. this is the uh, the. Uh, the kind of quota I'm going to fill, or this is the, yeah. the uh, agenda I'm going to push. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I was in uh, China at one point. We had this kind of round table with uh, a bunch of scholars, and we were talking about uh, writing literature. And there was mostly literature uh, uh, people at the table. And the question came up is, can you write a real story if it's got an agenda? And I would say, a third of the table or half the table said, you can't do political writing. You can't do an agenda-based writing. You can't have an agenda for it to be a real story. 
And I understood and sympathized with them. But of course, uh, somebody brought up 1984 right away. I think I was one that brought up 1984 and said, well, he's definitely got an agenda there. He just happens to be a great writer that, that's, uh, that's pulling this out. And I think this goes back to that vulnerability versus surprise versus risk of the writer. You know, this idea that, uh, the and you do this well, Matt, uh, you, you don't, you say you have a lot of politics and philosophy, but I don't think it's heavy handed. And I don't think it's, I think this is a skill set of, of, of this part of taking the risk, taking the vulnerability about writing what you want to say without it being an agenda based or agenda driven narrative where it just hits you not even over the head. I mean, you can, we can all sense when somebody's actually trying to push a kind of mm. uh, agenda and there is nothing wrong with us sharing our agendas and so forth. But I think, at least for me, the stories that I respond to well in those cases, even when somebody's writing something that I had not considered before or don't necessarily uh, feel like I'm in that camp or, or, or that kind of agenda, when it's a good story, I still will learn and experience something with it almost back, you know, almost as a third experience. Go ahead. Yeah, well, this uh, maybe maybe we talked about this in an earlier earlier discussion but the i think the definition of, that resonated most about with me of like what is good art versus bad art and i think it ties into this agenda if if it can only be like interpreted or understood or appreciated in one way like that's bad art <laughs> like, if there's no question about like hmm. well that well i know what that was about okay like yeah. that's you know so and I, I think, for, like, coming from the church background, like the the like uh, church like praise and worship songs that are just like this like God is great, God is great, like repeated like eight hundred times, like with like loud music. Like, well, I know what that was saying. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no other there's no mm -hmm. other way to uh, interpret that. Uh, but. The, like a political piece like 1984, like Animal Farm, like that's clearly yeah. political, but can also be enjoyed and and engaged on all those different levels you were talking about. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so I guess as writers and anybody that's out there, if they listen in they're new or journeyman or are novice, I think we have to kind of, and I think we've talked about this as well. It, if there's an art to writing, if there's a science to writing, and if there is this, if there is, and I think there is a creative element to writing, you have to kind of be aware of all three of those happening and not maybe let one of those dominate the other. And I would, I would guess that, at least for me, at this time in my writing, I'm starting to think more and more about um, why am I not letting the creative about, you know, why am I not taking that risk? Which is one of the things that uh, working with you and, and, and Eric, Matt, I have actually kind of found myself again trying to go back and write pieces like, uh, uh, you know, The Fleeting and Eternal or something like that. Something where I'm just just like, don't, I don't have an agenda, but I don't, I have this to write, to, to, to experience and, and to share. And uh, the other parts, I don't think they need as much work. 
I think they're always there for us. You know, the idea that you're going to have to get style in there. You're going to have to get your, your skill, your art part. Um, that's going to, if you want to be successful, you're, that's going to have to come. And I think we always have that at front and center in our heads. Um, we might not be participating in a, or doing it on the, on the paper or the computer, but it's, I think those, t- for me at least, tend to dominate. And I've got to pull that other side back out and say, mm. you know, just take a risk. Just go, just go do something that, you know, not to, not to break rules just to break rules, but just to do something that's in my guts, you know, let the gut come out. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had any advice for you, and I try to give this advice to my students, is find somebody. Find somebody like a Matt and an Eric that you can have these conversations with because you, at least I can't, I can't just do it on my own. I can't just, I I can have the philosophical thought. I can have the intellectual discussion inside my head about, you know, letting it go, but you got to hear it from other people. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to have somebody who is not your own inner voice telling you things that you have not thought out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because if you're only listening to yourself, yeah, the answers aren't going to be any different than what you, yeah. So find, and I I don't mean by that, just go find any old writer's group because we've all been in that kind of experience where you go and try to find a writer's group and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't mess with you. It doesn't flow. You got to find somebody that you can actually work with. And I think, I think. Yeah. um, I'm just, I'm curious about the, uh, you know, the, the urgency is clear. And if you can't find somebody else, you can just come find us and we'll talk with you about it. But um, I'm curious how you feel like we found each other. Hmm. Well, I think Matt and you have both kind of talked about this, uh, uh, Eric. Um, you, st- you start submitting, you start working with people, and you have a lot of rejections. You do. And that rejections don't mean that you can't work with somebody. But when somebody actually recognizes something, you know, maybe had a good title, <laughs> something that they wanted to say, hey, um, this, I like this, let's talk more. Mm. Um, and you'll know after about your, what, what would you say guys about your 30th rejection, <laughs> you'll start to realize that there is uh and I'm way past 30, by the way, you'll start to recognize there's this formula of rejection, which Dan, that's the business and it's, uh, and we all, we don't have, you know, some of these people are getting many, many, you know, applications, but after a while you start to say, you you you, are, you understand when a rejection happens, it's not a rejection, but a call for communication. That that they're, you know, where it's genuine. Please send me something else because they really do want to. There was some kind of surprise moment or something like that. Mm. And so with with you and Matt, um, I think I think not to put too fine a point on it. I think I found kindred spirits who don't agree with everything I'm thinking in my head, but have the same sensibilities about trying to get to a certain place that, you know, mm. that we want, that we certain things we do appreciate um, philosophically, creatively writing wise that I, when I read Matt's work, I was like, yeah, I've, I, well, first I admired what he was doing and I wanted to do something like that. When I met him, I heard a certain kind of sensibility that uh, that uh, I could respond to. Um, I don't think that happens very often. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I try to tell my students too, is that you don't get, it's not like you can go out there and just join any writer's group and you're going to find the group of people that can help you. I think you, you do have to find 
I was thinking about Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and all those guys that were working together and, and their little, their little score. Yeah. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien used to share stories and all that stuff. And uh, how would you like to be in that writer's group? Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, or Virginia Woolf and how she was struggling or, you know, these Emily Dickinson kind of moments. And I'm thinking, I always think about that. How much, um, how much, and I think Matt said this one time, we don't talk about how much pl- pleasure there is in the writing world. Mm. I think it's because we tend to isolate ourselves mm. for, for a lot of reasons. Some of it ego, some of it just protective mm. in us. You know, we don't want to, we don't have to. And, and you mm. will, if you write and get into writers groups or classes, you will experience the bad reader. That's going to happen. Um, but I, I think too, because it's so important to what we do. I mean, it's part of who we are. It's, it's our, it's our legacy is if I can steal that word from, from Matt, we don't want to have that like legacy tarnished by a bad experience or a bad moment of communication with somebody. And so we, we tend to hold our cards to it. I think we, we naturally hold our cl- cards close rather than open up. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel, I feel like I should say that it's like the rejection thing. It's, I, to who's ever listening, I assure, like, nobody takes rejection worse than I do. Like, like <laughs> I promise you, like, I, 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 most, any of my, like, anyone who knows me, quote, like, I, it, like, really fundamentally fear and respond very poorly to rejection. So it's not that, like, there needs to be this, like, inborn, uh ability to just withstand rejection that you need to to make it as a writer like that that that's not what i have at least uh it genuinely fucking sucks every single time mm. every time every and time even the 1000th rejection just always yeah. it's yeah. always and yeah, I think it's it's probably like any negative thing, like grief or like it doesn't like go away. You just are better able to manage it, maybe. Mm. But uh, so, but yeah, that 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 kind of uh, a high tolerance for rejection is not a prerequisite to success. Mm. It's more of yeah. an ability to. To bounce back and not even ability it's a willingness or even maybe not even a willingness just maybe it, this is where it uh, comes down to that more like mystical call in the religious sense like it, it the the pain of not writing is worse than the pain of rejection mm-hmm. like i like they the 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 rejection hurts but yet i still whenever i'm like get rejected and i'm like well fuck this shit like done never reject never like putting myself out there again uh, just not worth it like that lasts for like a little while but then eventually there's that equally maybe irrational <laughs> thing that builds up that's like no i gotta i got this thing to say and i gotta get it out there mm-hmm. and that o- overcomes the the 
the the fear and the discomfort and all the bad stuff and yeah. uh and 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 none of this inner tumult is a prerequisite but <laughs> it's just uh if if that is where you're at that can also be part of it yeah, it's like if you were to not speak all of a sudden because one time when you said something, you said something that someone scoffed at, like, uh, or that they disagreed with you. Yeah, like, like I'm never going on a date again because I got rejected. I'm never going to. I'm never going to fall in love again. Like it hurts too much. Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, mm-hmm. like and I, yeah, yeah. I those are great uh, analogies. Um. But if you're out there and you're listening to your writer, you know that, or you will feel it's easy to walk away. It is easy to walk away. Um, That's right. The drive will still be there and you can still, you know, find ways to, but if it's, if it's in you, walking away is something you're going to have to figure out. What is my walking away moment? I mean, not, not to, I'm not talking about stopping writing. Because I don't think if, like if you're a writer, you're going to keep writing. But how much are you going to participate in the publication in the end of it? How much are you going to submit? Are you going to choose to do some other kinds of alternative publications and so forth? If you're looking to be, and I think, I think Matt, it's not it's not an ego thing. You, you're a good writer, Eric. You're a good writer, so you you feel it's like being an NBA basketball player. You can be a good player, and you feel that's the goal. And when you don't get that goal, you start to you start to wonder, was I wrong? But I think we've convinced ourselves pretty quickly about no, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> it's just too painful to keep trying. Um, I, I think the walking away that the, the uh, or the ways that we deal with this, because I, uh, what I picked up, Matt, there a lot of things that you said were really true, but the idea that you build a thick skin to rejection, it does not happen. I mean, yeah, it hasn't, some it, people maybe do, but that that has not been my. It's not been my experience either. Success. Yeah, because that would suggest to me, I think that you're kind of well. If this, it's like playing the lottery. If I win, great. But that's not what we do. The writing. That's it's not a lottery ticket. Mm. We're not just picking numbers. We're actually putting something together that we think mm. we want to share. You know, it's not about having our name recognized. It's not about having prizes and money. I mean. Everybody's got to make a living. So that, that would be great if you can get paid for it. But you do want to have it seen. You do want it to have it read. Yeah. And that's the frustration, you know. Yeah, I think maybe the, the, the capacity to build is not to take it personally. Like, it can hurt and it can suck. It doesn't yeah. mean you're a bad writer, though. Like, I think that's the, maybe that's the uh, little adjustment to make. That, yeah. Yeah, doesn't mean to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I, I I need to stop at five thirty or in twenty more minutes. Okay. Um, so then we got to nudge Tim's piece along a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's nudge Tim's piece. Well, I, let me say this uh, about the piece. I started. I think I was twenty something, late twenties, and um, it was. So this is going to be in the. I want to say 1980s, late 80s, when I started this. And a couple of things happened. Um, I was First, I was starting to try first my first novels, if you will. 
And, um, and I was into science fiction and I was into fantasy and I was into literary and I was into everything because I still am. But I wanted to do a science fiction piece. I wanted to do a detective piece. I wanted to do something that um, I, of things that I've read and that inspired me, which I think sometimes we should talk about, about the, the things that inspired us to write, you know, and things that, that uh, um, how that plays in, in your development. Um, and so when I wrote this, um, I was working on, <laughs> on computers that Eric would not recognize. Uh, I was working on word processors where the only thing you're going to get is a keyboard and a, and a yellow gold flashing um, uh, letter. Matt, I think you would probably green, remember that. Green, 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 green. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I, and I want for us, for me, that was technology. So I was like excited because here I'm doing science fiction with the technology piece. But I've been reading a lot of uh, detective novels and stuff like that too, and I was mixing these in together. And so I got about two. I got pretty far into it, and I would tell my students this as I'm going back and reading it now: is that I was doing too much backstory, too much narrative, and not enough action. Mm. Um, on the other hand. I'm not going to name his name, but there's a very famous writer who had a very famous book that I did not think was very good, but it got made into a lot of movies or got made into a huge movie. And uh, it was a turn the page kind of moment, um, but it was also contrived. And I was very aware uh, of this kind of writing. and I did not want to have a contrived piece of writing. So I was trying to work through the story, um, write good scenes, write good Right, good elements and so forth. But I was writing in the 1980s and I was writing at a not immature level, but I always admire those writers that come out and at 28 or 26 are doing fantastic work because I just wasn't there. I might have had those thoughts, but I just couldn't put it in a, on, a, on paper like that. So I got about um, three quarters of the way through and realized that I did not know how it was going to end. I had a vague concept, but I did not know how it's going to end. This is probably something that a lot of writers can, can relate to. And then I realized that uh, many of the things that I thought was original, because now time is passing 10 years later. Yeah, 10 years can go by that quick when you, mm -hmm. when you put these things together. Um, that my new and cutting edge technology was not new and cutting edge. And at the time, um, I was kind of, there's a, there's a couple of fields in play with science fiction. There's the Asimov style. There's the, um, it, you know, Clark style where it's, you know, you got to ground it in real science if you're going to have science fiction, or you can just do a space opera type of thing. And I, I was always trying to just figure out how I could be realistic in my ideas, but still make it a little bit interesting. So as I'm writing or reading through that, I, I don't think it was even life that got in the way. I think I just kind of petered out. You know, I just got to where after a while I was like building a world and not enough of the, I didn't have that back end. And I think that's one of the things I've come to realize of the stories that actually do work for me is that I do know the back end. I know how it's going to end. Um, not maybe in detail, but I got a very good sense of where I want to get to. And I don't think I had that with this story. I think I had a good mystery with a lot of plot lines and a lot of, and I was just throwing everything but the kitchen sink at it in terms of uh, 
nanotechnology and, and, and other things. And uh, it, it became a good exercise in writing. One that I fell in love with because we all love our, our babies, right? Um, no matter what they look like. And uh, it was one of those where I, you know, I sent it out to Daw and I sent it out to Tor and, you know, they asked for the first three chapters and so forth. And I got rejections. Um, obviously, it didn't get picked up or anything like that. And I just moved on to other things. And I think I, at that time, I started moving toward short stories. And, and I got a think a suspense story. Yeah, I got the suspense story, and which I did win a prize. And I did win a, a first place. Totally out of blue, didn't expect it. And so then I just started saying, well, I'm going to just go back here and do these kinds of things. And I just left it for 30-some years. And every time I go back to it, I, I, I'd see it and say, well, yeah, but Marvel's doing this <laughs> or this is old science now. And um, and Eric and I were talking the other day about, you know, he could sense that I'm very much into getting I'm not it's not about getting the publication anymore. It's about getting the publication that gets that gets read, if that makes sense. Um, but. That's the that's the one side. It's almost like a, 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 a kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Getting that read is still there for me. Still, I want it read and want it shared. But on the other side, I'm sitting there saying, but just do what you got to do to get your story read, to, to get that thing inside of you done. And to be perfectly honest with it, anybody that is listening, um, it's not a vanity or ego, I hope, but there is a vanity and ego about getting that read. I, I want it read by a lot of people. I want people to say, hey, this is a great storyteller. Not because I want that. I'm sure that is part of what I want, but it's more just this is the career I really wanted to do. This is the thing I wanted to do with my talents. So I'm coming back to a lot of my stories. And Eric, Eric's picked this up. He's, he's, he sends this. He goes, you get, you're going back and you're grabbing some old stuff. Why? What, what's the urgency? I think he's used that word a couple of times. One, and my, Matt might understand this, um, I think when you get over a certain age, which Eric is not yet, <laughs> urgency becomes a little bit more on the radar than, than, um, than uh, when I was 20 and 30 years old. Uh, but two, um, back to the vulnerability, the surprise and so forth, I wonder if I shortchanged myself by letting some of the stories that I I started in my youth, go. And one of the things that I'm seeing with my younger writers in the class and the older writers in the class is that the younger writers tend to have an enthusiasm about their concepts that has nothing to do with caution. It's like, this is what I, I really want to do. Where the older writers, there's always this tempered moment. Well, what do you think? Do you think people would actually want to read, read this kind of stuff? And, I, and I'm wondering now, to answer your question, that Eric, that you've asked me a couple of times, what, what's the urgency? Maybe urgency isn't, you're right, there's a certain urgency in the sense of, I want this, and I want it badly. But it's more of, okay, Tim, you've gotten a couple of publications, you've had a couple of things that you're going on, What's that legacy piece or that the kind of thing that you wanted to do back when you're in 20s, in the 30s, 
what, how do you bring that out today? So I, I started picking up this piece again. I, I pulled it out. It's, um, it's, it's a lot of narrative, a lot of backstory. And, I'm, and what I'm sending Eric, chapter by chapter, forcing myself to do a deadline. I give him a chapter every weekish, um, And this is going to get challenging now because I've started the first two chapters. There was a little bit of element, I hope, of terms of introduction and conflict. But now I'm seeing the backstory and the world building. And I find myself wanting to go do this, uh, I'll name his name, this Dan Brown moment. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna buy into that, if that's what it takes for somebody to read your story, then I'll just make a and I, and if Dan Brown ever happens to listen to this, God bless, sir. You you've done well in, in your career and you made money, and I, I don't mean take it apart or anything like that, but it just wasn't. When I read it, it just didn't work for me that way because it, every time <laughs> so I, you said that, I was like, oh, that's the Da Vinci Code. He's talking yeah, exactly. Code. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when you start discovering clues under your toenail, it just. It, uh, it, it, well, I do envy his ability to to move through a plot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like if I could get anywhere near that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's so that's where I'm at, Matt. I'm, I'm like, OK, take all of this backstory and just get rid of it or move it into active scene, you know, which, which is supposed to be what, I mean, you're supposed, you, 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 I can understand the, the theory behind that, you know, um, it, you can have narrative. It doesn't have, but it doesn't have to be a whole chapter, right? You can have exposition, but it doesn't have to be a whole, a whole chapter. So that's where I'm at right now with this to try and finish this story. Um, I've got about three projects in my head that I want to actually write now. I want to, I want to take whatever things I've learned over the last 20, 30 years and put those into these stories. And I won't go completely, sorry, Dan. I won't go completely Dan Brown, I hope. I mean, I don't want to do it that way, but I do want to be more error to, more to that side of it than I was doing at the time that I was writing it. So there's my... Probably too long. No, it's quite a disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the What's the book called? A crowded isolation. I, I you know, I love oxymorons. I love uh, uh, paradox. So, a crowded isolation, and uh, it started from um, I was at, I was going to Berea College, and Berea College at that time had dorms where you literally had two, and they they may still. Two people living in a in a room uh, with an old twin bed kind of setting. It was not what I see my nephews and, and uh, nieces going to college with. And one of the things would be a public restroom or a, a, a shared bathroom on the floor. And in one of the dorms that I lived in, it was just this odd shaped bathroom, kind of an oxy ox oxy. Um, I don't want to say eight sided or six sided, but it had more than the four sides. And when you went in there, where you before, you're always with other people. Berea College is not a big college, but you had other people. It, it was isolated and it was, um, you did your business, not to get to, you know, it was your thing. You had a shower and had a bathroom or toilet in there. And I just was at that time fixated with this idea of what would happen if there was a kind of detective police force that um, you got to remember that the internet was just getting ready to kick off. And the idea of people watching other people was, was going on. 
and that if they were isolated in their rooms and had a computer experience, a 3D dimensional room and so forth, uh, where they could uh, eavesdrop or listen to everything that's going on in the world at the time because there was a, an AI program that, that, that would offer this. And that's how it started. So that, I mean, that's where it came. It was the Berea College bathroom. And mm. uh, then and then I just started pulling on uh, different kinds of plot twists and acoustics. Does, is is the bathroom the hexagonal chamber that we find ourselves yeah, in? That's 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 right. That's right. So there, there's a reader. <laughs> Go read that's, Tim's bathroom. No. <laughs> do you mind if I do you mind if I just read that scene? Yeah, read Go that ahead. Scene. Go because ahead. that has one of my favorite lines that I read throughout the entire thing, um, and I I had bolded the line in order to return to it. Um, I'll say that on reading this. And I've been doing this more and more, especially since I got a mic, is reading aloud a piece. Mm. Almost instinctively, every piece has a voice that I put it into. And so um, this, I just like set myself really close to the mic and read everything really slow. So it was something like, um, on the other side of the locker room was another door, slightly rounded like a hatch. There was no handle. Miller looked to the camera mounted just above the door and waited. It opened without a sound, and he stepped through. The experiment continued. The door closed behind him with a hermetical sigh, and he heard the muffled sounds of locking bars falling into place. He stood now in an open hexagonal chamber, the heart of the inner sanctum, its tiled walls and ceiling riddled with tiny perforations. Some of the openings reflected, indicating glassy lenses tucked just inside. Most were empty shadows. The lenses were still more cameras and special scanning equipment, though for the life of him he couldn't say why they were necessary now. The empty shadowed holes, he knew, were not empty of purpose, just as a gun barrel is more than a hollow tube. And I'm going to end there just because of that last sentence, Tim, before we, we're going to have to close down here pretty quick. Um, but that last sentence, the empty shadowed holes he knew were not empty of purpose, just as a gun barrel is more than a hollow tube, is like absolutely flawless simile. Um, mm. And it, it's, there's an intelligence that you are lending the reader without question that says, if you don't understand what this is saying, that's fine, but you probably do. You yeah. should probably trust yourself yeah. because you already anticipated that this was going to be the case. Yeah. Um, and I think if I can lend a, a second compliment to the piece on reading it through, and I didn't do it in the actual accent that I was reading in, which was a British accent. I realized <laughs> on the spot I was not gonna drop into that. Um, <laughs> Wow, but, that that would be great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I would have had to read from the beginning. You know, yeah. you yeah. you you yeah. have you have this strong love of identifying the cut and wear of clothing on whoever is there. Um, you know, what? I think it's from Raymond Chandler and Arthur Conan Doyle. I think I do get that yeah. from those people, uh, particularly Chandler, who love he who could never. Never missed a scene that he didn't love. He loved to t talk about the way the cut. And okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. That's how you 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 lead like that. 
And then you yeah. also, um, you have this amazing ability to make a scene with no one in it or with one person in it where the location and the movement through the location still builds suspense, even though the place is empty, even though the place is, you know, a series of essentially like almost like a, a puzzle box that you keep opening wherein you go deeper and deeper and deeper and you wait, you're like, where is the fucking trap? Right. Mm -hmm. Where where is the hole that I, that me, this character is going to step into? Um, and, you know, it's the end. It's the open door. It's always there. Like you always provide that thing. Um, and I think it's here, too. It's just like, you know, this this Miller character moving into a place that you're simultaneously trying to sort out how what is his relation to this place as mm -hmm. well as what is this place? Mm -hmm. um, and the two of those kind of bouncing back and forth over what you assume about the place are eventually sort of revealed. But even that, you know, you, you have me on the conflict side of things as to whether, you know, Miller's entrance into this place, um, uh, like if he's going to be the savior or the destroyer of this place, um, mm -hmm where all of its other occupants are, what their purpose is. Um, uh, really, really nice stuff. Matt, I'll let you say something before you take off. Yeah. Um, well, I've always, uh, the first thing, from the very first thing I ever read of yours, Tim, I was like, God damn, this guy like can like drive a story forward. Mm -hmm. Like, just, I think you just have that ability like i and and i think it is a lot of it with the details like the cut of the clothes and the hats and the those like the command of those details of like when to use them and when to not i'm like i trust i trust it right away and then that that trust helps kind of drive the plot as much as what's happening it to use the dan brown like uh again i you know i think his plots are very entertaining and they keep you moving and turning the page but i mean they, it's, it's a gallop it's just like oh my god now we're in now we're under the streets of paris and now now we're flying to stockholm and now like oh my god now like there's just so much happening so fast and it covers this huge and that's one way to kind of move plot forward, but like you can move plot forward when everyone stays in the same mostly empty room. Mm -hmm. And that the and it's the command of the scene that at least for me it that that's where that's what hooks me in, and that's if it wasn't for that command. I don't know if it would feel as much to me like the plot was was moving so not necessarily always briskly but steadily. Like we are, I like like the whole like moving from room to through the room to room to like we're moving, we're going somewhere. Like I I know it, I know it. I'm and I'm I trust this guy to get me to where I'm going. Mm. Um. So it's uh, that interplay between like the 
pieces in the whole that I think you really do really well. Well, thank you. Thank you, Anna. Uh, here's where my struggle is. And now I'm going to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, so then again, I'm writing this in my late 20s, whatever. And it's heavily, I'm going to move from place to place to place. There's other characters, as Eric's been picking up. Um, but post-academic, post-modern, uh, post exposure, post-sensitivity to other things, um, I'm struggling with, is it too testosterone heavy? Is it too, is this piece going to bog down in its own male ethos, if that makes sense? And so it's not, it's not that I'm, I know I've written other characters and I've written other kind of, you know, diversified world and other stories, but in this one, I'm like, hmm, I need to get this kind, I need to bring this character back up more and take this kind of idea out because it's been done and done and done. So my vulnerability, but, but, but as I point out to my students, everything has been done. Everything has been done. And if you're going to, so I'm wrestling, and this is the vulnerability part. I'm wrestling between doing what I had in my heart and gut to write is just a story and doing what I think would be, I don't want to say proper because that kind of sounds dismissive, um, but more awareness of the world and the diversity of the world. And it's in the story, but I'm thinking now I got to bring it out a little bit more. And I'm not, I'm not the 28 year old man I was back then. You know, I'm, I'm <clears throat> some. So <laughs> it's like, so my life and my awareness has changed, you know? And so I'm kind of, that's my wrestling moment, right? Is, uh, do I get the, the, the thrill, the tension, the suspense, which you can do, you can get away with that in a short story pretty easy. You know, people aren't expecting you to do the, the, the world type of thing. But when you go into a novel and longer, and I, uh, let me say right now, I'm not sure. I know, I'm not sure what the answer is here, right? I'm not, I'm not posing this question because I have an answer to it. I'm posing this question because I'm wrestling with this thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, for me, and I, maybe I feel compelled to answer quickly because I have a, a dog in this fight also as an older, older guy. Uh, but to me, the question I think to me is that, is it an honest story? Like, is like, I feel that one of the themes of the age of the era is this, this way, the old ways fading away. And I mean, the old ways are always fading away and the new ways are always ascendant, uh, such as, uh, such as life. But, I feel like one particular in this moment, this like kind of old patriarchal male-centered, white male-centered narrative is fading away seemingly, especially this week, Jesus, rapidly by the day. Uh, so it's to me that 
that is a story that is happening. Like we are all in one way or another wrestling with the fact that the stories we used to tell and the people who used to be centered in those stories are changing. And I, I, I think there are people that can just flat out write different stories and they should, and, and we should read them. And then there are people that can write about what it's like to be like the person who is, who's not the center of the story anymore. Mm. And I, I don't know. I, I, again, maybe it's just cause it's, it's, it's where I'm at. It's a fascinating perspective to it's within our lifetime. Like we, we have experienced it. Like, mm. and when I was 10, the world was like this. And like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a young white boy with like, that checks all the like privileged mainstream boxes, mostly uh, to see like that, like all that, fade away mm -hmm. is a fascinating story mm -hmm. and and to try to do that with any kind of awareness and elegance i, I think is a a legit story so to me like, as a reader what i would look for is like is this guy aware of what's going on around mm -hmm. him is he aware of who he is and how he fits in the world and how his place in the world is changing. And if so, how is he dealing with that? Mm. So I mean, that's, that's what I would look for. Not just like demographic information about these characters, but mm. how are they dealing with this reality? And yeah, I, you know, and it's always tough for me. I wrestle with, and I don't know if I always do it well of like, when we try to, Right in a way that it acknowledges our increasing diversity and, and to do it in a way that's honest. You know, I, I don't want to just like, well, I need a, uh, I need a Mexican. I better like write a very poorly drawn Mexican character in here <laughs> yeah, just because yeah. there's a lot of Mexicans around. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> just don't do it. I'd rather like don't right. you know, try to do right. that. Just to, well, and now we have appropriation things that are you know, right right, right yeah, that's yeah. A fine lines yeah. i mean it's it's that awareness and honesty is more yeah. matters more than um, yeah and, and so here's the answer eric to uh how we how we find how we find people that uh uh we can work with it's not because they tell us the things that we want to hear it's because they tell us the things that we need to hear mm. like like matt just did um but uh um my, my, for myself, you know, I was raised, raised in a very progressive family, very, you know, but there's, even with all that, and Berea, if you know Berea College, you know that uh, yeah. that's, it's a very, um, I, and I think we probably are more aware of this than some of the people, some of the people that are writing uh, who come from another kind of side of the street would not even worry about this. I think I mean I think Matt and I are in a unique kind of position where we had the privilege, but we're also we're aware of the privilege and we're we're raised in a way that you 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 try to be human. We so could, we could you, I gotta go, but we, we could do a whole podcast. Yeah, 
progressive yeah. white guys who went to liberal arts college yeah, there you in go. the 90s. And <laughs> part two, part two. Yeah, there you go, there you go. The perspective that we yes. have after that and, and here in 2020. But Remember that one. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's do that one. Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you, Matthew. All right. All right. Good All talking right. to you guys. Right. Good talking I got to you take too. off. Bye. See okay. you. So, you know, a uh, lot of good discussion about writing today, but also we are starting to move into some, I think, interesting podcast material, but uh, I'll leave that up to you as, as the editor about what we keep in on stuff. And, uh, and also interested to hear what your thoughts are on the last five minutes of our conversation there. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep it going if that's all right with you. I just want to chat. Fine. Um, uh, you're speaking specifically of the thing that you uh, felt vulnerable about and the modifications that you're um, seeking to, or the, the societal surroundings that you're hoping will percolate in and your understanding of the way things are. And, um, um, you know, these are all very, very, very good questions. And I think the important part is that they're being asked. Um, I, I, I think Matt's answer will probably dwarf all of mine. Um, I have my own uh, way of responding to the climate of the times. Um, and um, and how it fits into writing. Uh, I think ultimately I land on the side of um, the fact that our own stories um if we're if we're actually looking at ourselves properly um are a part of the explanation of what culture is right now and to try to that the best way of merging with it is both to admit uh that we are a part of it regardless of um color gender sexuality the the divisions um and also that we add to the conversation. Um, and if, you know, if you, you have a way already of writing that denudes some of the masculinity that you're describing, um, the slowness and pace that you delivered, um, Prince of Blue Castles, the fact that your main character is not a, not a, brawny um you know womanizer but a man in a complex re relationship in which he actively cares for a wife who is very complex in her own uh you know relation to him uh who's a negotiator with these sort of more um like proto-male types that one might see in a Conan story or like a, you know, a comic book story already suggests that in the tone alone, you're grappling with these questions. Um, and to change, you know, I'm not sure how you're even thinking of making these changes, but like, you know, right now your, your names are all four white dudes names. Like, does that mean that changing, you know, Ben to, you know, as Matt was saying, like a Miguel or a, or a Jesus or something like that? Like, does that lend you any credit? Well, I mean, we don't know. Like, it, it's, 
it, there's not a cultural circumstance at play here right now. You've got a story in my eyes about a guy who, you know, used to, used to care about the work that he's in and can't seem to find that care anymore. And not only that, but the place that he's trying to work at, you know, may have it out to get him. Like that's not a, you know, if he's a man or a woman, that's mm -hmm. a possible scenario. It's, it's a, it's already in a fictional space, but probably one that exists for somebody. I mean, maybe it's been exaggerated for the sake of, you know, interesting uh, or um, more, more exploratory techniques, but um, it's, it's, I think it's going to be in the smaller circumstances um, where like, for instance, there's one moment where you've got these, he's, one of his big questions through the first chapter is whether or not it's okay to bring liquor into the, uh, the room with him. Mm. And he's constantly asking about this flask in his mind. Um, and ultimately he ends up finishing the whole flask as a sort of like a, mm. a writerly tool, as well as a, um, like a character acknowledgement. Um, but there's a moment where he's, talking about the other men who are in his division or his, you know, agency or whatever. And there are others who have committed similar quote crimes of the agency. One of them smelled like tobacco all the time. And the other tried to drag a woman in with him. Right. And that like, that's, that's a moment where it's like, okay, like make sure the woman's not a prop. You know, if you're going to have a woman, just make sure she's as complex as the wife in Prince of Blue Castles. Um, not to say that this woman isn't like, you know, there's when a, when a circumstance is reduced to four words, um, you don't I wouldn't be too concerned about picking your words wisely in that case, because the essence of the thing may be just that, you know, yeah. we some people do drag each other into rooms just to have sex. Um, in whatever circumstance it may be, it's not a, it doesn't have to highlight, um, a misguided author who is, you know, regularly, you know, you're not throwing a certain group of people under the bus. So I don't know. I, your, your caution here, while I, while I respect it in some ways, I also want to lend you a bit of confidence in that I'm pretty sure based on how careful you are, you'll be okay. You know, it's, you know, it's funny, Eric, is that, uh, uh, I don't, awareness is a key for all of us, right? Awareness is something, I mean, you, if you have awareness, then you, you tend to, uh, you tend to know, I, I hope when you're being uh, ethnocentric or, or stereotypical or just, uh, emitting a kind of group or experience, um, given again, that it, 28 years old when I was writing this, my idea of inclusion was to have a female operator, have a black operator, to have a gay operator, and that was about the extent of it. <laughs> you know, and now I'm I'm trying to catch up with the uh, with the experience, and it's I don't I don't worry about my um, ability to be open as a human to being flawed or to have bias or or to um, that the writer somehow has to incorporate a perfect world because that would be writing to a call again. It's just say, this is the world. That we have. Um, it's a good story, as Matt was saying. You, you, you tell an honest story. That's what I, his word was. So it's, it's, 
uh, what I was sharing with that, this was because I wanted, I was thinking, I'm always thinking about the person that might be listening as if it's me or you or Matt or, or Jill or Monique or, or whoever, right. You start putting names in and so forth. Um, as they're sitting there writing and they're wrestling with some of these ideas, it might be comforting to hear that they're not alone, you know? And so this is not a, I think you, what's that term you use where it's just basic question and answer between writer and uh, editor or, you know, your standard questions that they ask you, how long have you been, you know, where do you write, what time you write and so forth. Mm. It's that vulnerability moment that, that Matt and you were talking about earlier, where you just actually, you're not, you're not trying to make a point. You're just trying to say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this one. I'm trying to think through it. Mm. Um, I don't need an answer, but I don't, not want an answer um i think as humans if we're in that state if we're actually sharing and hearing with each other uh, like you and matt have done for me today and 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 then past uh um, podcasts and talks where you just hear um not comforts not dismissals just other voices that kind of say hey you know this is an ongoing thing mm. um I, I i think that helps us uh, my wrestling right now is two part. One is like I'm a better writer, I think, at this mm-hmm. point, 30 years later. And so I'm sitting there seeing things, uh, which I did not pick up on. I mean, I, I think instinctively I'm I'm seeing the differences between the names and so forth that I didn't have before. My idea of being progressive in that, when I was 28 was have a uh, Spanish or, or um, Portuguese kind of name as one of the characters, right? So that's the progression back then in 1984. And so now I'm more, much more aware of what progression might be. Yeah. Um, and do I put that in the story? And do I get that, like you were saying before? Um, so it, it's, it's really, I think, uh, and we are, from my sensibility right now, we are very judgmental about how we, we judge each other. You know, it's just a, it's a thumbs up, thumbs down, like, don't like kind of moment in world we're in without recognizing that uh, humans are complex, that nobody nobody is one thing or another all the time and that people change. Um, but we don't do that right now. That's not our world. And so I don't, I'm not writing this story, re, I'm not rewriting this story, I'm going back into the story, trying to fix it to be politically correct, if, if I can use that mm-hmm, term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm rewriting it to show Eric a story that I'm hoping he goes and says, yeah, this is really working. Mm. That honest kind of story. And the ideas that I'm wrestling with, in part I ask you about because I wanted just affirmation that no, it, it's still there, still um, honest, if we can use that. So, so my bigger hope is that as I send you these things, knowing that I'm not Dan Brown, but probably tend to be the other extreme, which is more Umberto Eco kind of moment without having this quality of writing, the rose where you just take a door and spend a chapter writing what's on the door. But knowing that uh, I'm going to probably end that way, if I go a little bit more Dan Brown plot driven, maybe this works Uh, because it's not working as it is written right now. It's not that 
working in the sense that now, 30 years later, I'm recognizing that even if I'm doing a private eye detective slash genre, it's it's got some plot holes. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so I'm, I'm I'm hoping back to this urgency, which I think is another good conversation somewhere down the line with you and Matt and I. Um, you do tend to have different stages of urgency about your writing. Mm. I, I think. Um, we start off the world's a rainbow and we're going to have all the unicorns and all the candy coming our way. And then a couple thousand rejections later, maybe a few successes on the way, which is almost as problematic as the uh, rejections. You know, um, if you got just rejections, it might stop and you just go on and do whatever other career you're doing. But mm. if you get acceptance and you get a little publication here and there, um, win a prize here and there. It's just like affirmation. Hey, you can probably do this. Now go do it bigger. Hmm. Um, yeah. So they, they, that that's part of it. Part of it's too lifestyle, time of age. You know, retirement coming up. You want to make. But to be quite honest, the very bottom line is that I always dreamed. That's the right word. Dreamed, wanted, desired be a writer as a living, as a, as a, you know, am I going to make J.K. Rowling money? I didn't have to do that. Wouldn't mind it, but I wouldn't have to do that. But at least I could say, this is what I do as a living. And back to our kind of discussions about D&D, that was a big influence for me. Actually, you know, people, we don't talk, we don't talk about that as much as we should. D&D, I think it, our whole generation, Matt's and I generation, and now your generation and my nephew's generation, that idea of creating worlds with our own minds and having engagement of story narrative uh, doing it, that is a brilliant idea. I mean, I know it's it's got its uh, precursors in the past, but Gygax took it for our generations into a different kind of level. Mm. Yeah, so... If there's an urgency, it's because I know time's fleeting. Yeah, I'm 55, 54, 55, I think. Um, I hope I get 30, 40 more years. That'd be great. That's a whole other lifetime in one sense. But mm-hmm. uh, I want to start making things happen. I'm excited about Snow Over Hair Grow because, mm-hmm. um, one, I trust you. and I trust you specifically in terms of we might not make a lot of money, but it's not going to be something that's thrown away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two, your writing, which is something I thought, you know, from day one, I know this guy can write because I read your stuff. I just got to make sure that he gets it out there. Mm. And three, um, we own it. Mm. We own it. Mm-hmm. And it's all. Yeah, I'm excited about that. That's kind of where I come down, you know. You talk about a lot of rejections and stuff like that. And, um, you know, a career as a writer is such an interesting thing because people pursue it very differently. Um, and And that's doing self-publication, you know? Yeah. From start to finish. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he's, he got, like he said at the very beginning, he got rejected from the bacon review two or three times. And that's why he reached out and was like, Hey, I like getting rejected by you. Can can we, you? We should talk about can, that. Can somehow, I yeah. can I pay you to reject me more? 
um mm, mm. and uh Great obviously it i don't know if <sighs> i think over time that has changed in terms of the fact that now i'm reading his work and saying man like i don't see much here to change um no, when no, i first read it through and you must have been part of that because you brought it up and i someday i want you to talk when that's comfortable about what that experience is like because that is the key that we're talking about today you met matt met somebody like you who was able to recognize the talent and bring him and yeah. he was he was vulnerable enough to ask you to help yeah i think that was mostly it. it it didn't have as much to do with me saying like look because i believe anybody can be brought up mm -hmm. like i believe that you just have to as a reader dink around with your pickaxe for the gem to pop up outside the stone yeah. like you're looking for the thing if you're not looking you're not going to find it for sure like you just think it's a beach um but yeah. the guy with the metal detector is like hell yeah i bet there's some scrap in here you know yeah. and and for him the treasure is in finding the thing yeah and because yeah. every no no beat not every beach is going to be you know the chest of gold some of them might have like some weird you know like hoverboard under the sand um and you got to be okay with the fact that you found the hoverboard and say damn i it's not sand um and so with matt it was like it, i just explained to him what i found in the sand and when he approached me he said i want you to keep saying that like i want you to keep telling me what's here um and i'll keep saying that's not what i want or that is what i want and he's right in talking about the fact that over time, he's developed a really incredible spine to say, like, look, I don't always like your edits. You know, sometimes I want to choke the shit out of you because you're just so busy telling me that this this again, like you brought this up again. How many times do I have to keep doing it before you realize I'm just going to keep doing it? Um, and there have been things that like for me, you know, some of those early stories in McKean County um, were I was like, I wouldn't publish this. You know, it's as good as Matt wants it, but I wouldn't publish this. Um, and he went ahead and published it. And now looking back over time, those stories aged well, like things age well, because you start to see that those initial tendencies, and this is what you're going back for diving back into your old shit, is that those initial tendencies are the are the dream are the are the like the propulsion that ultimately takes you through that like more mature writing so that come the road, yeah. when you've got the skills to actually illustrate that without, yeah. be, you know, be you know, browbeating or running off course and being a rabbit going after yep. every detail. Yep. Um, yep. Once you get to that point, that's what you're still smearing, man. You got a flavor, you got a style, and it's just going to keep coming out more and more. Um, it's just whether or not like you have the time and patience to really like take that and put it in the right places or take that and continue to be inspired to make it better. Thanks for listening to The Nudge. Any books, films, interviews, or other media that we've mentioned, we've tried to track down and pin on our Discord server for interested parties. If you'd like to join us in conversation, share something you've been prompted to write, or just take a peek at these references, you'll find links to that server on our website, clawfootpress.com. Thanks again.